Hi, and welcome to our podcast called Asking Better Questions. My name is John Newsham. And I am Shane Chan. We're just two friends encouraging one another to seek God. So it's important to point out with our title, we're not trying to suggest that we ask better questions than other people are asking. We want to improve the questions that we ask. So it's important to keep learning and growing, and that involves asking better questions. So if you're listening and you have questions, we'd love to hear them. We can't promise that we'll be able to answer them, but we will try to have a conversation about them. So Shane, uh, it's been a week since we had a long conversation. Um, Just wondering, uh, during this time of social distancing, whether there's anything that you've been doing differently that might maybe be a bit strange or at least interesting. Well, there's nothing really interesting going on or strange. (laughs) You know, all we have been sitting and eating and, you know, watching Netflix. And certainly eating is not strange for you. No, it's not strange (laughs) to me. And I can say it's not strange for you too. No, I love eating. Yes. Who doesn't? Yeah. No, we, we have been just getting bored out of our brains. There's no one that... There's a lot of people that we used to see, but now we don't see them anymore. And so it's just been sitting at home and pretty much trying to find things to do. Yeah. And we would do something like play a game and we would get bored and then we'll stop. And (laughs) yeah. And it feels like we have run out of things to watch as well. And yeah. So yes, pretty bored. So you're looking forward to uh, being able to go back and become normal again? Very much so. Very much so. What about you? What have you been up to? Well, I mean, obviously, uh, with my Uber job sort of drying up a bit, I've decided to work days, so I'm sleeping at night, which is really nice. Um, but one thing that we've been doing that's a bit strange is my parents have been uh, ringing via Zoom, and we've been playing like a card game via Skype or via Zoom. And so that's been rather odd. And, uh, you know, so we played, you know, the game, you know, and... Uh, you know, trying to work that. You know, you know, uh, trying to you work know, that. <laughs> trying to work out how to play that uh, over the over the computer uh, via the, the video camera. There has been interesting, and we've played another game called Sequence, and we're about to try uh, to play one that I don't think will work because someone has to be a secret character, and you, when you're selecting that, you know, it changes the way things are done. So I don't know if it's going to work, but we're going to give that a go on uh, this weekend uh, so you know my parents are 24 hour drive away and can't see them at the moment and I think you know you mentioned a lot of people that, at the moment that we normally see that we wouldn't be able to see I think at this time it's important to try to find ways to keep in contact with people because isolation isn't actually that great not just from a boredom point of view but it actually we're designed to be in community and so mm. to be isolated and to be alone is not actually that healthy for us so it's important for us to try to find a way to include people and, and continue being social. That's exactly right. So how about we head into our first segment? This is called Random Scripture. So this is where we flip the Bible to a random page, read a few verses that catch our eye on that page, and we'll then have a discussion about that verse and let the discussion take on a life of its own. So for those that are listening, we really do just flip it and read whatever those verses say. We don't come into it with a message or an agenda prepared. Rather... We just let the scripture start the conversation. So how about this week, Shane? Uh, we'll get you to do the honours of the flip and... No worries. And read that out I have out my for Bible us. in front of me. Yeah, great. And I will find a random scripture and here we are. It's from... Uh, the verse I got is from Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 16 onwards. It says, The little owl, the great owl, the white owl, 
the desert owl, the osprey, the cormorant, the stork, any kind of heron, the hoopoe, and the bat. All flying insects are unclean to you. Do not eat them. But any winged creature that is clean, you may eat. Yeah, well, I think uh, I'm tempted to say this is the last time you get to flip the scripture open and read it. (laughs) (laughs) But we'll we'll go with it anyway, because that's the way this segment works. Um, (laughs) So just to confirm, so uh, we've started in Deuteronomy chapter 14. Which verse was that? Verse 16. Verse 16, you started that. Yeah, to 20. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, this... This is a, a strange passage to just flip open to and, and try to read into it. It's talking about what foods can and can't, can't be eaten uh, based on whether they're clean or not. And uh, as New Testament Christian believers, we generally ignore verses like this where it comes to what we can and can't eat. Um, we tend to look at those as Old Testament legal uh, things that we're no longer required to do. Um, and so often I think a lot of people would just sort of skip over verses like this, but I think it is worth just sort of having a bit of a chat about it anyway. Yeah, well, that's it. Sounds to me a lot of good kind of meat. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, okay, let's just point out, which we've mentioned a couple of times already throughout the, the course of our podcasting, uh, that we do come from slightly different cultures. And so when I hear that list... There's not too many things in that list that jump out at me uh, and say, eat me. Like that's, no, that's not how <laughs> I would respond to that list. Um, so are you, are you genuinely saying that you would eat that stuff? Uh, some of it, yes. Um, some of it I have no idea about what they look like or what they are. Um, like the cormorant? Yeah, the cormorant, yes. Um, I know what the stock is. I, I don't think I would eat that one. I I would eat a bat, even though we are living in a time of coronavirus. Yeah. And at the moment, they advertise badly. But actually, uh, where I, I have grown up, lots of people actually eat bat and consider it uh, food because they, it's, it's more of a hunting and gathering kind of culture. Yeah. So you never know on the day what you're going to hunt and gather. Um, so if on in the day you see a bat, you get a bat. That's what you're going to have for dinner. So they usually come out at dinner time anyway, but that's how um, where I come from used to walk is there would be people who whatever they can find because they didn't have a job like we do here in Australia. Yeah. They didn't earn money. The, the culture was totally different. Um, and yeah, we, we sort of lived off the land um, in, in a way. Yeah. A lot of people did. Me personally, I was actually more privileged than others. Yeah. So I didn't have to do more hunting and gathering kind of things. But yeah, there was a lot that a lot of people that they did. So. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So for me, as I hear you talking about eating the bat, uh, I'm I'm sort of thinking in my own mind. The only redeeming feature of the bat is that it must be better than coconut. <laughs> It is not better than coconut. Okay. Having said that, I haven't tried bat yet, so it might be. Okay. <laughs> um, coconut is actually amazing. I don't know what kind of coconut you have had, but coconut is something that I look forward to whenever I go back home. So I have the coconut that comes inside the little chocolate called Bounty, and it, it, <laughs> for me, it ruins the chocolate. Okay. 
But that's that's speaking of a very different culture to the one you've just described. Yes. Well, Australian culture is not that different. You know, you guys have lamingtons here, which is actually made out of coconut. Yes, so, so there's coconut on the outside of a lamington. And if you put the jam yes. and cream, you can overpower the taste of the coconut. And, and you know, lamingtons, as you say, they're very popular. Uh, I'm not actually personally a huge fan of lamingtons because they taste like coconut. <laughs> um, but, uh, yes, if anyone's out there and wants to give my wife a gift, she loves lamingtons. No um, worries. <laughs> <laughs> so I think uh, in the middle of this, the reason that we don't really follow these rules that we're reading in Deuteronomy is in the New Testament it talks about the rules that people should be forced to live by when they become Christian, when they start to believe in Jesus. And there was a big argument, and I mean, it's been an argument for centuries, but there was a big argument about these are the rules we've grown up with, these are the rules we've always done, and they're all pointing towards Jesus or the Messiah, and therefore, now that we've found him, we should still keep eating those things, and then other people that believe in him should also eat the same way as we do because it's important. But then the other people saying, uh, you know, that's not actually meaning anything to us. So for us to change our eating habits doesn't help. And so that argument sort of went backwards and forwards. And the Apostle Paul comes down saying, don't let anyone judge you now based on whether you're eating clean animals or not, um, or whether you're eating unclean animals, more to the point. Peter has that picture where he sees the vision of the unclean food coming down and, and God telling him to eat it. And God used that to say of the Gentiles who were considered to be unclean by the Jews, don't reject them. And that was actually the point God was making. It So in that passage with Peter having that vision, we who are not born of Jewish heritage are the unclean animals being referred to. And so mm. God is actually saying, I'm now inviting even the Gentiles into my kingdom. And so we then don't go back to the Old Testament law and try to live by the Jewish customs. We then try to work out with what Jesus taught us, how does that affect how we live? And, and so we tend to dismiss a lot of these uh, ceremonial rules. That's right. And amen for Peter's dream. Now we can eat bacon. And how good is that? <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so there has been like a huge change, you know, from um, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, where people have actually, these Jewish people have grown up. And like you said, the Gentiles came into this now. And now, since Jesus going on the cross, everything, like the whole way that, people looked at God changed. Yeah. And that included, that massively included their diet. Yeah. What they can eat, what they can't eat. What God was basically saying, I'm being going to not just be an exclusive God for a few people. I'm going to be an inclusive God for all people. Jesus didn't die for only one person, but for all. So it doesn't matter what you have done, what you eat. I'm there for you. I have died for you. Yeah. And I think that was a big point that um, we see the New Testament was trying to make. And, and those things didn't matter anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think the, the danger with what you're saying, because I agree with you, but the danger of what you're saying is we then can be tempted to just ignore the whole Old Testament because that's before Jesus. And 
we actually, if we don't go back and read the Old Testament, if we don't go back and look at it and try to work out what what the point of it was, what are they actually teaching, then we actually don't fully understand who Jesus was, what he came to do. And if you go right back to the Garden of Eden picture, it starts pointing forward to a Messiah that's going to come 4,000 years later. And mm. so in the very beginning, when God gave us this perfect place and said, enter into my rest, we then gave that up and threw it aside. And at that point, a picture is painted to say, you've messed this up, you've disqualified yourself, but I'm going to make a way anyway. And so the toil and the pains and the thorns and thistles and the sweat and all of those things that happened end up pointing forward 4,000 years through history to someone who's going to come and fulfill everything that's being written up until that point. So if we just dismiss it and say, well, none of that is relevant to us in the New Testament, then we actually completely miss the point of what Jesus did. That's right. And you know what? One of the big things here, why they sort of had to do all these things, because at that time, that was their way of getting closer to God. Yeah. We, you obey the law that God has given you. And we see that some of the Old Testament laws are still there. You can't still murder people. You know, you, yeah. you have to follow that law. Yeah. So it's, there's these things that absolutely must that are biblical principles in the Old Testament that actually you, you, can't, you can't, you know, just ignore them. Um, but when we look into this for specific purposes, we, we see that uh, God actually wanted them to do things because they have disobeyed God before. Hey, God said, if you want to get closer to me, here's some things you have to do. Yeah. And it was just a whole lot of practices that they had to do for their lives to say that we are actually set apart from the world and we are God's people. Yeah, and so then if you're looking from the outside, looking into that culture, you see a whole lot of differences and some of them would be really obvious that if you went round to their house for a meal, you wouldn't notice necessarily that they didn't eat certain things. But if they then came around to your house for a meal, often the question we ask is, do you have any dietary requirements? And they start listing off all the things they can't eat. That's when it would become apparent. And so, you know, if you went to their house for a meal, you would get so much food, you wouldn't know what to do with it because th that culture of hospitality and openness and you would not notice what wasn't there. But, That's right. Uh, but there's a lot of things they did where it just stood in stark contrast to the rest of the world. And a lot of it is actually for health purposes. A lot of it, they would have actually been a healthier people simply because of the washing of the hands and the eating of certain foods or not. Uh, the way they dealt with a whole lot of different things would have actually created a much healthier environment to live in. Yeah, wow. That's a very good point. So I have grown up um, in a Indian culture. My all all my relatives they are Indian, and obviously uh, Indian people they don't eat cow. Yeah, and they they don't eat steak, um, and so we in our house because my family, when we got saved, they were um, Indians um, who were Hindus, and they never grew up eating cows. So. When we sort of, me and my sister, we grew up, we decided we're actually going to go ahead and eat um, 
this strange thing that everyone has been telling us not to eat. It's cow. <laughs> and boy, the steaks taste good. Yeah. And but we had to be mindful of that that we had relatives who if they found out like the day my grandma found out um that we ate beef, she was she cannot believe it. She was just distressed like like wow, how could you eat something like that? Like why would you do it? And she could not understand because that's how they have grown up. Like it was so foreign to her that she hasn't she has someone in her own family that has yeah. eaten beef and and it was a very strange thing for her. Yeah. But now as as time has went on, I know um I had families that that are Indian that are afraid to actually go and eat in someone's house who they actually know cook beef. Yeah. They actually feel like it's very unclean for them to eat off their plate because uh a beef might have been served on their plate before. Yeah. And so it's a whole very strange thing. It's not they're being racist, it's just their culture, their their um religion is very different and if someone does that, they for them it's that those people are unclean people. Those people have in their in their religion, those people have actually killed a god. Um Yeah. And so it's it's a very strange sort of thing. So now it's different now my relatives they know that we eat beef and they have actually gotten accustomed to it so now when they come over to my place they're happy to eat out of our plates because they know they have been used to it because there was just a time when they couldn't believe it it was new but now that has changed yeah and i'm i'm sure this would be the same for the uh, jews were well, the first time hearing that uh we can now in the new testament we can now eat, eat all the unclean animals like that has changed that's strange yeah i'm sure most of them wouldn't have even have touched it but for gentiles it was just a normal thing so i i can see the the uproar might have caught, been caused in in that time for those people when that this is something they have been doing for years and years and years and then someone comes along and says all right this thing this tradition you've been practicing for generation after generation we're going to change that in a moment yeah Yeah and, and yeah yeah sorry go for it. Oh well I was just going to say you you've sort of described two different reactions in what you've described with your family. So you've got you and your sister who it for you it wasn't a religious issue. It was a customs a practice like a um like a cultural thing where it was a strange meat whereas for the rest of your family who were still Hindu it actually was a religious issue. and so those two reactions are remarkably different and so when i read this passage that we've flipped open to in Deuteronomy and see the list of animals they're all strange meat and so i don't see anything on that list at first glance that i would actually be interested in eating and so i could say oh well i'm following that rule but i'm not i'm just not eating that food because it's yeah. strange you know we don't go to the shops and see a list of clean animals here and unclean animals over there we have a meat section and you grab whatever you want out of the meat section and we don't really think about it that way but if there was bat sitting there next to the sausages i would be looking at that going that's really strange and i think in our culture we're more likely to think of cat or dog or horse in the same way that you were thinking about beef when you first started eating it where it's just a really strange thing i don't think we're supposed to be eating it 
And we're probably going to assume that people that eat that are slightly weird somehow because of our cultural background. And it's not a fair assessment, but that's the way we're likely to think. And so for you, I'm assuming that's similar to the when you started trying beef, that you're thinking this is something that weird people do. It's a strange thing and let's give it a go. But you would have felt very adventurous in that moment. I did feel a bit of um, adventure, adventurous side of me coming out. It, it was sort of very um, rebellious in a way. Uh, that's what it felt like. Yeah. That I'm rebelling against everyone and going to try something very new. And without being a snitch or anything, but I, I actually have a lot of cousins who I actually still, who have actually started to eat beef. Um, that their families don't know about. Well, don't name them. Your um, family might start listening to the podcast. Yes. So it, it's it's that world has actually um, changed because they have actually left that country. You know, they have left. They they have come into a different country, and the culture of that country has actually influenced them. Yeah. What they eat now. Yeah. And you know the the types of meal that we used to eat back in Fiji is actually very different to what we eat here now. And those cultural changes, you get a group of friends and then you try something. That's how actually first time I tried beef was actually at a church. And we we have Indian people and Fijian people in the church. And Fijians, they eat beef. Uh, Indians, we didn't. And, and you would do a meal together and obviously in the meal you'll have beef. And so without knowing it's beef, I would, I, w- I, w- I would always eat it. Yeah. And I, I just thought it was a different kind of meat. I didn't really question it. I would just eat it. And it wasn't until afterwards I actually realized someone told me it was beef. It's like, oh yeah, that tastes pretty good. So I, I just got used to it for me. I got used to it. And now like there's a, there was a bit of a struggle between those things with, with my um, relatives. But, you know, Especially like I mentioned about with my grandma, yeah. But then she she got used to it. There, there's still some relatives of mine. Um, my mum, she she's uh, she can't um, really eat beef. My my dad eats it sometimes. My dad has changed, but for my mum, it's something that she hasn't eaten. So she's not very a uh, very adventurous person. So <laughs> she she wouldn't try it. Careful, she might listen as well. Um, but I, I got the impression with your mum that it wasn't a religious statement anymore. It was just because she grew up not eating beef. And so That's now, right. you know, whether she's tried it or not, she just can't stomach the idea of eating it. That That is exactly right. Yeah. And so that's um, that's a different thing again. Like, um, so in our family, we, we eat beef and me and my son eat it and we love it. And the girls eat it less. And my wife tries to avoid it simply because it uh, it sort of messes up her stomach a little bit when she eats it. She doesn't like it doesn't sit well, and so she doesn't not eat beef. She just doesn't eat it, and it's sort of in a, like a mid category, which is sort of me and the uh, the ostrich or whatever it was talking about in that passage, the osprey and the cormorant. Uh, it's it's not that I don't eat it religiously. I just I just don't eat it. Uh, That's right. Because I'm sort of scared what it might do to me. Uh, and I wouldn't know where to find a cormorant if, if I did want to eat it. Yes, that's exactly right. So, well, I think we've probably uh, bitten off enough of that. Uh, so, pardon the pun. Um, so we might... No worries. Yeah, we might head We're into the... A bit more hungrier than usual. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's now, all right. We've got to hurry this podcast up so we can go and have some dinner. 
The next segment we're going to do uh, is where we ask a question, and the hope is that people uh, will, who are listening to this will send in questions that they want to hear asked, and we'll put some of them together and uh, discuss those. Um, Shane, you were talking to someone the other day just about the idea of the podcast and just you know how it was going and just having that conversation with where it was starting. And this person said the most common question they ever get asked, uh, they were a pastor, the most common question they get asked is about how to share faith. Is that a fair representation of that story? Well, in that story, I must have been talking to myself uh, because I was a person who was getting asked this question a lot. Um, You're not going crazy, are you? I must be because of, you know, staying at home. So I've been having conversations for myself. But no, it's actually the common question that I actually get asked um, from the youth and the young adult people who are young in being a Christian. They're very interested in the question of how they can share their faith because they have come to realize, hey, we found God and this is actually really amazing. And even just today, I, I was talking to someone who is a pastor at one of the denominations and he was just saying that 30 years back, he's 60 something, he came to know God and the first thing he wanted to do is to go back to his friends and share it. Now he didn't receive a very good response from them. Yeah. They, they all left him but he the first thing he thought of when he found Jesus, all he wanted to do was share it with everyone that he knew. Yeah, and so that's that's a common question that I get asked all the time, especially from the new believers. Is man, what I found from God right now, someone else, you know, can benefit from this, and they have people in their mind that they know, if their life can be changed, like by having this amazing encounter with God, so can theirs. So th- they are very on fire, and they want to know the answer to this question. How can I then go? and share it with the others. Yeah, well, I've, I want to grab two bits out of that before we actually start to really answer the question. Um, firstly, the most effective people at sharing faith are often new believers because you mentioned that they're on fire. Like they've, they've come, they've had this massive change in their life. They've discovered God, they've changed, they've, they've become a different person. And the excitement and the passion and the enthusiasm of that, they're just ready to share it. And often... Uh, sadly I say this but often the longer we are a Christian the less we remember what we were like and what we felt like beforehand so right now we're going through this struggle with coronavirus and so there's income issues and there's social distancing issues and there's a whole lot of problems at the moment Uh, you know people are going to be struggling to pay rent all that sort of stuff and all of the pressure of that comes in on us and we forget what the struggle was that we had 20 years ago or 40 years ago because this thing is now the fresh thing where when you first meet Jesus you just clearly remember what you were like yesterday and what you're like today and you just want to share it with people and that passion and enthusiasm I think it's actually important for us the longer we're a Christian to actually remind ourselves to stir that up to remember what it was like before I was a Christian not not just mm the things that I did that were wrong, but what it felt like inside. Like, I I remember an encounter with God, like I I was already a Christian, but I remember this encounter I had with God where he just revealed to me that inside I was dead, that I I had no life. I was was squashing everything down and hiding everything 
all of my emotions, all of my feelings, trying to trying to eradicate them. And I was actually, in effect, killing myself emotionally so that I had no life in me and had this encounter moment where God spoke into that and, and started to encourage me to change and grow. And I remember feeling like I was coming alive. Now, I'm more than 20 years on from that point, and it's actually really easy to forget when I'm having a moment of frustration that I wasn't able to be frustrated at that time, that I didn't have the capacity or the ability to actually get frustrated or upset or laugh at a joke. Like, I understood humor. I loved humor. But to actually just automatically laugh or even deliberately laugh was impossible for me because there was no life going on. And God changed me. And so when I'm going through a difficult moment and I feel it, that actually, rather than being a negative, should remind me God's done something amazing in my life and he's changed me. And then that gives me something that I can actually share. So the second thing there is also um, that someone who is brand new and has just become a Christian, as a general rule, has more unsaved friends than those of us that have been in church for 30, 40, 50 years because we tend to hang out with people that we meet. And so we, we go to church and we, we talk to those people and we hang out with them during the week and then we go to work. And you know, I know for me that for 10 years I was in a pastoral role where my job was at a church. And so my friends were Christians and my workplace was a Christian environment. And so you actually have to deliberately find a way to create relationships outside of that or you don't know anyone who isn't already a Christian. And so if you're going to share your faith with someone that you know, they already believe in Jesus. And so, you know, for me, one of the things that I love to do is play sport. And so I actually went and joined some sporting teams, apart from anything else, just so that I would actually have interactions with people who didn't know God, so that I could actually have those conversations and create an environment where people might see something worth living. So that's very good, uh, Pastor John. We need to sort of talk about, okay, what do we do now if we feel like we want to share our faith? And for me, um, I, similar to you, you know, I had an uh, amazing revelation of God and I, I was just on fire for God and I just wanted to go and share it with, uh, with lots of people, share about God and share my faith, yeah. what God has done for me and all of that. And I, I feel like what I was sort of lacking in like, Every time you go and share to someone, you lose a bit of confidence when they're not interested in what you're saying. Yeah. And it's, it's very easy to actually lose your fire, lose your confidence when people actually think of you, oh, this person has gone crazy. This person is mad. You know, they said they have found God, especially the unbelievers who don't believe in God. Yeah. And, and they have this new view of you now. It's like, man... This, this person is not the person I, I remember. This person I'm not used to. This person has changed and it's now not the same. This person doesn't do the things they used to do before. What's happening with this person? People change when they encounter God. You know, they might have been swearing a lot. Now they're not swearing. They might be drinking a lot. Now they're not going drinking or partying or whatever they're doing. They have changed their life around and people can all of a sudden start noticing and there's a bit to people say, wow, I actually don't recognize this person. This is this person is someone totally different to whom I knew. Yeah. And so when they reject that, 
the the person who actually has gone out to share their faith they might be if they're not strong enough they'll, they'll be the ones who lose confidence and start to lose faith in god because they have found they can trust god but now once they start to share their faith something's going wrong they have started to lose their friends yeah. they start to lose their family people who used to be interested in talking to them now they don't want anything to do with them yeah. so there would be like this big opposition you might face what once you start sharing your faith with people yeah yeah and you know part of that uh, jesus promises that that will happen that if uh, he he says if you, if they hate me how much more will they hate you for being linked with me and so there, there is that degree to which uh, the world is antagonistic towards Jesus uh, and towards people who follow him. And part of it can also be if we're maybe not very skilled or not very wise in the way we go about sharing that. And so I can name a few people. I mean, you've talked about uh, unbelievers maybe getting upset or, or rejecting someone because they're sharing about Jesus. But I could name a couple of people who the church they were in was basically trying to squash them down and say, no, you can't behave like that. You can't act like that. You can't be that enthusiastic because the excitement and the change that was in their life, but without the maturity around that of the behavior and the understanding of, of how that affects other people, they were just letting it bubble out and go everywhere. And the church was trying to say, no, you can't, you can't be like that. And, and yeah. that hurts just as much as if the world rejects us. That's right. And I think any kind of rejection is bad. Um, I don't really want to go into rejection. But, you know, <laughs> as, as people, when, once we get rejected by anything in this world, you do feel betrayed or you do feel let down or you do. There's all this feeling that comes in. Yeah. It's like which you didn't expect and can come creeping in easily. And it's just a way of things like... Uh, I was hitchhiking once and and people wouldn't stop and I was like wow I was getting annoyed by that it's like wow why aren't people stopping and and that rejection of not giving me a lift was getting into my head I was like yeah man something's wrong and I had to change it no they probably you know don't have spaces in their car they there's there's some reason why they haven't stopped and and that's all right yeah it's same same the with other stuff if you do get rejected there's probably a good reason why when you feel like these are the people that are supposed to be supporting you but those are the very people who are not yeah and and there's a big conflict in your heart then okay why is this happening to me yeah yeah so i think as you say we, we don't want to get uh caught down on the old whole idea of rejection i think it is important just to put a, a place marker in there and say that even if you do everything perfectly, even if you say it the perfect way, even if you do approach it in a way that is gentle and meek and generous, there is still a chance that it's going to get thrown back in your face. And so without scaring people off, being honest about that I think is important because otherwise they'll just think the reason I got rejected is because I did it all wrong and I wasn't very good at it. Mm. But sometimes it's the fact that you are good at it that causes people to reject you. So I think it's important just to put that place marker in there. The gospel is offensive and we shouldn't add to that offense. We shouldn't be more offensive than the gospel is. We should try not to offend. We should try to love people. It should actually be about the person we're sharing with. But we do need to be aware that there is actually a good chance, even if we do it all perfectly, that we will be rejected simply because people don't want God to change them. 
That's right. And if you are a person who is confident, and why is it that you want to share your faith? Obviously, you're excited. You got something of God that you really want to share, and you want to actually witness something of God to others. Yeah, it's really important that we actually are people who are meant to evangelize. We are meant to go out into the world and evangelize to people. Yeah, it's um, it's something that. All of us are called to do is to go out and share our faith. Yeah, and we and you probably need some practical steps to actually do that. Yeah, and you might be questioning, okay, how do I do this? First of all, ask yourself the question: How did you come to God? Was there someone who witnessed their faith to you? Yeah, or was it done in another way? You need to look at how first of all you came to God, and maybe that's the best method that is going to work for you. Is the way that someone might have approached you, and you can you know you can do different things, but it's really important that you recognize okay this is actually a good thing. Now when we are saved, some people who are saved for even long time they forget that they're actually still meant to share their faith. Yeah. Now our faith is something that doesn't get old over time; it still stays the same. We are as Christians, we always should be. Sharing our faith with people who don't know Christ. Yeah, yeah. I I think in there though, you you've got the difference, and I think that probably clarifies it. You, you use the word, "What are you going to witness to other people?" So that word, "witness," is actually what we're called to be. We've been called to be His witnesses, and I think the trap we can fall into is thinking we're supposed to be His sales reps. And so, if we can come up with the right sales pitch, if we can come up with the right marketing tool then people will find God. But that's not the way it works. It works because we witness. And so your question, how is it that I came to God? What is it that he did to bring me to him? And part of that actually happened before the person who was there the day you met Jesus. You know, maybe two years earlier, someone shared something with you and it wasn't until, uh, you know, maybe a few weeks later than that, you went through a crisis and it started making you ask questions and then two years later, you come across this other person, they share their faith, and you get saved. And so there's this journey that God brings you on because at the point of salvation, it's not someone has convinced me of something better than what I had. It's actually a new birth. I think I mentioned this in the last podcast of you know what happens to us is actually we go from death to life. And so that's a miracle that's required. That's not, that's not a decision, although there is a decision in it, it's actually a miracle that's required at that point that God needs to do something to bring life into my spirit. And so if you're sharing your faith with me and you do it well, and I respond to that, in the process of you sharing your faith, God has planted a seed in my spirit which takes root and grows and it, and it becomes this, this life-giving tree all around me. That process is not something that you or I would have control over. And so, yes, we need to share, we need to, we need to do that. But we're relying on God in the middle of it to do a miracle. And so, so therefore, it's not just a clever rhetoric, a, a nice line of words that's said the right way, although that can be helpful, but it's more actually looking at what changed, what, what has God done in my life? What have I experienced? What have I seen? What have I heard that gave me life? And out of that, what can I share? Because if you're a witness at court, then the lawyer will ask you a question and you'll say, 
you know, I heard so-and-so talk about this, and they'll say, no, that's hearsay, that doesn't count. And so a witness in court, it's only valid if you've actually seen it yourself, if you heard the actual event yourself. And I think there's, it's not a hard and fast rule, but I think there's a lot of truth in that, in witnessing our faith, is actually, if I share something that I've actually experienced, that I'm a first-hand witness to, it's actually not only a lot more compelling, it's also a lot more life-giving to the person that's listening. I remember um, when I used to do a bit of evangelizing and sharing my faith, I think you know, it's important that how we approach people. Why do we approach people? That's a, a good question to ask yourself. Yeah. Is it, is it because you want to do a job because the Bible tells you we should be going out into the, all the world and witnessing to people? Or is it because you genuinely love people? Yeah. I think it, that's something that's really important for us to get to know. Because the greatest commandment is you know, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And we might see lots of people on the streets. And uh, if you're going out there or whatever way you're trying to reach out to people, how are you seeing people? Because a lot of a handful of them would be strangers to you. Yeah. And it's very important that it's just not about sharing Jesus, but it's about them as a person. How would Jesus see a person? Yeah, wow. What did Jesus do? He, you know, we look at um, the, the uh, examples in the Bible. How did Jesus see people as? He saw them as his children. Yeah. He saw them as, as people that he loved. And, you know, every time he was on earth, he was probably reminded, I came for them. Yeah. Because I love them. I'm going to uh, go up on the cross very soon for these people that I'm meeting that are right in front of their of his eyes. He probably didn't look at how they, that person looked. He didn't care. Yep. He didn't look at what kind of job that person had or what kind of uh, animals that person ate. He didn't really care about all those things. Yeah. He looked at someone who he really, truly loved. And that's why he said, I'm going to go on, on the cross for this person and it doesn't matter what you have done what kinds of sins you have committed in your life god did that because he loved you so when we go out to share our faith you need to be someone who genuinely loves people and if there's something you struggle with that's all right yeah and we need to be praying into it we need to be saying god please help me love people like you love them yeah and that's that's a prayer that i pray all the time is God help me because I need it every day because it comes times during your week when people are going to annoy you. There's people who you probably want to strangle. Uh, don't recommend that. But you know what I'm talking about. There's, yeah. there's people out there that really get on your nerves and you're just like thinking, oh God, please help me to love this person. And I believe, you know, when, when Jesus was talking to people sometimes, they got on his nerves as well. Yeah. And, you know, he, he got annoyed by some of the things that people would say to him or people would do. And, but at the end of the day, he still loved them. He still went on the cross for them. And so when you do go out to talk to people out, out and share your faith, remember that why you're doing is because you love them because Jesus loved them. And because Jesus loves you, that's why he chose you. you know, that's why he revealed himself to you. Yeah. And there's a whole spiritual part to it, part to this whole thing about why did you get saved? Why did... You know, God sent someone. Or why did God put you in the position 
where he can reveal himself to you. There's a reason and there's a purpose for that. Yeah. And it's because someone else might have obeyed God's word. Hey, can you go out and reach out to this person because they really need me right now? And that's how you might have come to know God. Yeah. And that means that it's our responsibility. God might be using us to go out and reach out to people. And we can't just sit still and do nothing about it. We need to be hearing God. It's a commandment that God gives. But we should be doing not out of, hey, this is what God would want for me to do. No, we should be doing because we truly, genuinely love people. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really important. I think, um, you know, if you're talking about people that really frustrate you, I think one of the tricks is someone is like that and they do really frustrate you just for all the listeners out there. Um, try doing a podcast with them and see if that helps. <laughs> yes. Um, so I think, um, you know, in that, the, the, love, the love that we have to have for people, um, that's, that's another miracle in itself. The fact that I would have, you know, it's easy to have that sort of love for your kids. And yes, your kids can frustrate you, but it's easy to have that sort of love for someone that's sort of, that close and that you know you have that much time and you've spent that time building that relationship with them or or whatever you know i mean with a kid it's sort of more natural but you know you're born into a family and then you marry into another family and there's that is there's that sort of ease to have that sort of a depth of love in that environment for a limited number of people but the call of god is to love everybody and that actually requires me to change that requires God to do a work inside of me so that I can see my neighbor. And you, you mentioned if you don't love them like that yet, it shouldn't necessarily stop you from sharing your faith. But it should be a prayer to say, God, while I'm doing this, help me to see these people the way that you see them. Help me to see them through your eyes. Um, the, other, That's right. the other thing I want to touch on, um, Jesus said, you know, you're going to be my witnesses, but don't go anywhere until you've received power from on high. And so he was talking about Pentecost. This is in the after he's uh, risen from the dead, but before he's ascended. And so there's that 40 days where he's revealing himself to people. And then there's, uh, you know, seven or 10 days leading into Pentecost where, uh, where they're sort of in hiding in the upper room and, and uh, you know, they're having a, maybe a seven-day prayer meeting or something like that. And during that time, they're trying to work out, well, Judas left. Do we need to replace Judas and put another apostle in? And, and all those sorts of questions. But they're gathered there and they're waiting. And we don't know everyone that was in the room. We know a few names of the people that were there. But there was 120 that were there on the day of Pentecost. And the power of God came. The Holy Spirit baptized them in power. And mm. that there is actually what Jesus said, wait for. And so I don't think we've got time on this podcast to, to talk about baptism in the Holy Spirit and, and that power that comes with that and, and all of that sort of thing. Like that's, a, that's a much bigger discussion on the side for another podcast, maybe uh, a, a different question. But in that, there's this idea that wherever you go as my witnesses, the power of God is going to follow you and do miracles. And so people are going to be healed. Blind eyes are going to be opened. The lame are going to walk. Um, you know, there's this miraculous stuff that's going to happen as signs following those who believe. And the sign won't save anyone. You know, like, it's not like a miracle will force someone to believe in God. It, like, it doesn't work. But what it does do is it shocks people to say, why would God do that for me? And it makes them ask different questions. What, Like, 
it can't just be explained away. And I think there is a degree, and I don't think we necessarily, uh, I'm not necessarily making a doctrinal statement right now, but I think there is a degree to which we actually need to see God's power at work in the process of sharing our faith. That we actually need to be saying, God, who do you want to touch in a meaningful way? God, who is it that's around me that you're already drawing and you want to do some sort of a sign that they will see you? And like that, that's, a, that's a whole different discussion. But I, I do think that that's an important part. If you just say, oh, by the way, there's a God out there and he wants you to give him your life. That gets one reaction, and I'm not saying, certainly not saying those words are the best way to share. Um, but if you, you know, I've, I've seen people who their approach is to say, um, I see you limping down the street, can I pray for you? And that creates a whole lot of discussion, especially if a miracle happens. And so that ability to actually draw down the power of God for the sake of someone else, to reach God's love into someone else's life, it's actually a powerful key that would help. Now, it's not a very practical key in one sense that uh, it's not a skill that you practice. Uh, you know, it is a, it's a gift from God. But I think it is important just to sort of uh, put another marker on that one and say that that's a valid part of this discussion that we don't have time to delve into. That's right. You said uh, you could use words of knowledge. You know, God can speak to you in that time and actually tell you, like you said, Hey, do you have a back pain? And you can go and share that. And that opens up a big door saying, how did you know that? Yeah. How did you know I had a back pain? And, you know, there's a thing. Okay, but God told me that you had. Can I just pray for you? Yeah. And and most likely they would say yes. And they would be confused in the time. But that there would be a place where they can receive their healing. But we, we need to be sure because you can do all of that. I have seen, you know, we have done crusades after crusades in 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 fiji and we did healing crusades where we have used something from god to heal people right yeah we've used the power of god to heal people but i have noticed out of the hundreds of people we might have who received a miracle only one family would show up to church on sunday Mm. and how do you get then you know there's a bigger question how do you get people into church how do you get people to actually keep following God after they have received their miracle? Because it's one thing to share your faith and, and they might see, think, oh, this is amazing. And they might receive a healing. They might receive a word of knowledge. They might receive a prophecy, whatever they might have received. But then there's a part where, okay, are, are these people are actually going to go and follow up God? Or are they those people who are going to chase after God? Or it's like, oh, that was a weird thing that happened during my day. And that's where they leave it at. Yeah. And they don't think about it much. And there's there's a lot of instances where I've seen that happen time and time again. Because there's, um, I have known a lot of evangelists, uh, street preachers, whoever they are, they're always out there preaching to people, healing people out on the street. But a very small percentage of those people actually ever come back and actually chase after God. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean... and. and yeah, if you look at the life of Jesus, that's uh, it, it's evident there that you know he did at one point he did a miracle where there was five thousand men. They didn't count the women and children, so you're probably looking at fifteen or more thousand people that were there that witnessed Jesus do an incredible miracle and fed a lot of them from a tiny amount of food. And that fifteen plus thousand people were gone within a couple of days. 
And then, you know, later on in the story, we see Jesus is taken and, and illegally crucified and put to death, put in the tomb, and he rises from the dead. And then in the next 40 days, he reveals himself to, I think it was 400 people at different points during that 40 days. And so the, the tens of thousands of people that he's already shared with that have seen miracles, that have had their touch, and then the 400 people that actually saw a resurrected Jesus in their environment where they were, he showed up. And yet by the time we get to the day of Pentecost, only 120 were actually in the church the day that it was born. And so, yeah. you know, that, that's sort of, I mean, it's not necessarily a statistical thing that you can do the maths on that to work it out. But out of tens of thousands of people, 120 are there the day that the church starts. And, and I think, you know, the, the parable of the seed and the sower, where it falls on different types of ground, is very true. And that's why I said before, the miracles are important. They're not, they're not the thing that's going to get the person saved. They're not the per- thing that's going to make the person seek God or follow God. However, it is a starting point for a discussion. It's, it's, a, it's a much better opener to say, have you got a need that I can pray for rather than I've got a message I want to tell you? Because, right. because it reminds us to think about that person and what they need rather than to think about the story I want to tell. And it is important, you know, the, how I phrase what I say. The Bible says that we should always be ready to give an answer when people ask why we have hope. And so it's actually important to have some sort of a thought process and an answer ready of this is what I could say, but it's also vital to be thinking, what does this person need? And you, you touched on that before with how do, you, how do I actually put myself into their story? What would I be feeling if I was in their situation? What would I be needing? What would I be wanting? And to actually speak into that or to pray into that and hope that something happens in the middle of there. Yeah, wow. And you know, Lots of people would ask the practical question, how do you share that simple message? How, how would you share that simple message, Pastor John? How would I share it? We might need to put a pause here so I can edit it out later. <laughs> no, so, um, so I don't know that I've got um, a specific thing lined up where, uh, just to throw me in the deep end, thanks for that, Shane. Um, no worries. I, I think for me, the times where I have shared my faith most effectively is based on questions where there's something that's happening in the difference between myself and the person that I'm talking to where they notice something and they, they want to know why is that different and generally speaking I can take it back to a point where God actually did something and changed my life and so uh, whatever it is generally speaking if there's anything good about me it's probably because God changed me um, I'm aware of that I'm, I know uh, I, I didn't do any of what we might call the big sins or I, I didn't have a, a, a rebellious period where I walked away from God and did a whole lot of stuff. But I know where my heart was at and I know some of the stuff that God did to change me. And so generally speaking, I can actually say, well, this is what I was like and this is what God said into that situation. And so I think for me, that's, that's probably a, a key to my way of sharing faith is I actually take myself in the journey in a story form. I take it back to when God changed something in my life. And if that's come up because someone says, why do you do this? Or how do you do that? How do you have the confidence to do that? Or anything like that. 
I can take it back to say, well, I used to be like this. And then God spoke into it and this is what happened and this is what I'm like now. And, yes. you know, whether that's because I saw something happen in someone else's life and I started asking them questions or whether it was just I went to God with a question or I went to the scripture and something opened up. That's the point when I started to change. And so I'm not, uh, you know, I've had a couple of different jobs over my lifetime where I've been in a sales role and I'm really not good at sales. I, I don't do the pitch well. I don't go through the script and and follow it through and get people to a point where they want to buy it. That's That's not me. My general way of sharing faith is by actually coming alongside someone for long enough that they can see that there's something different. Uh, I remember one job that I had where the job that I had, the environment that I was working in had been incredibly antagonistic towards Christians. And I actually got warned when I applied for the job, when I, when I sat there with my resume and, and talked through in the interview process, I got warned, don't talk about God in this job. We noticed that you've got a couple of things on your resume that have to do with church. We don't want any of that talked about here. That's, that's just not on. And I worked in that job for quite a few years. And the history had been almost everyone that worked in that environment had grown up in church and at some point turned their back on God. And there was this sort of antagonistic towards Christianity and towards God and towards Christians because of things from the past. And there was another guy I knew there who was a Christian who'd grown up in the same church that I'd grown up in. And he'd been working there for six or seven years. And he was always frustrated with himself or disappointed with himself because he didn't feel like he could share his faith. And when I'd been there for about four or five years, people started asking me questions and started having conversations. And some of the people that are actually working there started to go to church, started to ask questions about God. And I remember having a conversation with this other Christian guy that was there who was just so disappointed and down on himself because he didn't feel like he could do that. And I said to him, you don't understand. The fact that you're here and the fact that everyone that's working here actually has a great deal of respect for you, you've broken the mindset for them. Up until you started working here, they hated Christians. And then you started working here and they said, we hate Christians except for this guy. He's all right. And the reason that I was able to share my faith was because he was there for a number of years, breaking down the barrier, people thinking that Christians were a certain way and he was different. And it made them ask me the questions because now I wasn't the only exception. I was now coming alongside and they were saying the same thing about him as they were about me. He's different and you're different. Why are you guys different to what we expected of Christians? And so I was able to share my faith. I was able to spend a lot of time answering questions in that environment. And I can't take the credit for it. It's because someone sat there for six or seven years feeling like a failure in their faith, feeling like a failure in their ability to share faith. But they were actually breaking down barriers simply because they were different to what people expected. That's some great points, Pastor John. What I wanted to talk about is that why do we do things in life? When something good happens in life, do we think that we do it or do we give credit to God? When good stuff starts <laughs> happening, we get a promotion at job or we start, um, we got a new job and we, we find all the success in life, we can always go and say, man, look at me, this is my accomplishments. I did it yeah. by my own strength, by my own will. And a lot of people who have grown up Christian think and believe that. And as soon as something bad happens in their life, they blame it on God. Yeah. 
they never blame themselves. It's like, God, why have you forsaken me? Um, and so that's, I think, like a lot of people who have backslidden feel, feel like that because they have complaints about God, like God has never been there for me because something bad has happened. But what about everything good has that happened in your life? God was also there, but you just never gave credit to God for what he, he has done, all the good stuff that he has done in your life. Yeah, We only look to God when something bad happens and then we start blaming God for it. And, you know, as you talked about all your co-workers and, and things like that, they have, you know, been uh, away from God, they have left church or whatever it might be. And I just see that pattern over and over again, that when something good is happening in people's life, they forget to give credit to God. And when, when they have new cars, new houses, everything that they own, if you don't actually give credit to God, hey, I wasn't going to be able to do this on my own. This is actually God. Yes, I put in my best but god also put in his best here for me as well this is what he wanted for me to have and you know he's given it so it's really important that we give credit to god what we have in life the the fact that we're living right now is because of god he's created us yeah and we're created in his own image so everything that we do here on earth is by his creation so everything that we see around us is actually him so we to be continuing to be uh, people who are thankful and it becomes much easier to share your testimony than to share your faith if you're struggling here um, with how do i share something of god let me tell you if someone asks you questions like pastor john was saying he goes back on his into his life and sees what god has done so it's uh, for us if you can't see anything that god has done in your life is there a roof over your head do you still get food on uh, on a table it's all god what whatever you have it's all God. So that's what we need to realize that when people start asking, is that easy? Just share about the normal everyday thing that God has done in your life. I know you go into a third world country and they see, man, God has blessed you guys. You guys have uh, food, uh, big houses, you know, big things. And, and we don't have anything. We wish God can do that for us too. And people get shocked by that because they say, man, I am that. I, I put in my hours, I got my money, I, I built that house, you know, yeah. and we actually forget that God was on the journey all along for us and he helped us. He created all this thing just for us. Yeah. So when, when we you know, talk about sharing our faith, we can just talk about all the goodness that God has done in our life Yeah. and not focus on the bad stuff necessarily. Now there's, there's some bad stuff. It's always going to happen in your life. Because there is a devil that is walking against you the whole time. But God is there for you. So we should be people who rejoice and be thankful for everything that God has given us. And, you know, it's not just we look to God when something bad happens. Hey, God, it's your fault. Look at me. I have done all these things right. And as soon as something bad goes wrong, we start blaming God for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, within that, th there's a tendency... Uh, just something you touched on just briefly. I don't think it was even uh, maybe a conscious thing that you said, but it, talking about not focusing on behaviors and stuff that, you know, I think we can tend to, when we're trying to share our faith, find people who are sinning enough that they need God. And I, I think that's a bad approach. I, I don't think, you know, th there's definitely a point where I need to turn away from my sin to follow God. That's, that's a guaranteed thing. I, I need to accept Jesus into my life. He was righteous. I'm not. And I need to apologize for that. Like That's part of the process 
of finding God. But within that, I don't think it's helpful to present a God who's out there judging people. Because that's not the picture that the Bible paints. The Bible paints the picture of a God who loved me so much that despite my sin, he came and died for me. While I was still in my sin, before I fixed it, before I apologized, before I did anything good, he died for me. And so, yes, sin is bad. And yes, sin is going to cause us problems between us and God. But that's, it's God's love that brings us out of that. If God is only judging us, then there's no hope and there's no point sharing our faith. If we, if we understand that God is a loving God who desperately cries for humanity to come to him so that he can give them his best, then I think that's a great starting point of what we're actually supposed to be looking for. So, so let's not go out with placards and banners talking about people that God hates because the people that God is sending to you, you to are the ones that he loves. If he's got a message through you to go to someone, it's because he loves them. And so the message that you share, as a general rule, should be a message of love. Mm. I think uh, we've probably spoken enough there. Uh, I think we've probably provoked ourselves to start another couple of questions on a different couple of podcasts. Um, But thanks for listening to Asking Better Questions with John and Shane. We'll be here again next week discussing another question, and we hope you can join us again. Thank you for joining us. See you next time.